0: Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Today, I wanna talk about something that uh, we've actually never really talked about here before, but I think it's something that is a universal experience, and that is the topic of doubt. Now, doubt can mean all kinds of things, but what I'm meaning specifically about doubt is that uh, it's any form of uncertainty about God. Any form of uncertainty about God. And, you know, you may have, because we live in a fallen world, doubt is part of the human experience. You know, you may have dealt with doubt in the past, you might be dealing with doubt right now, you might encounter doubts in the future. It's just part of the experience of living in a fallen world. And if, and if you're not dealing with doubt right now, I'm sure you can think of someone, a loved one or a friend or someone you know who is dealing with doubt. And so this is an important topic for us to talk about because it's such a universal experience. After all, the Bible is full of people who doubted. If you read through the pages of Scripture, you find lots of people of doubt who, who who experience doubt. Not just the the villains and the bad guys of the Bible, but some of the heroes of the faith wrestled deeply with doubt. People like Abraham, or Elijah, or John the Baptist, or even the disciple. Thomas, who church history has given the unfortunate moniker Doubting Thomas because he struggled to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So if these people throughout Scripture, who are some of the great men and women of faith, struggled with doubt, and they had extraordinary encounters with God, they saw God do extraordinary things in their lives, and yet they struggled with doubt, if they struggled, then then should we be surprised if Doubt sometimes creeps up in our hearts as well, but the problem I think that many of us have as Christians is that Christians are hesitant to talk about their doubts. You know, we're nervous to admit that we have doubts. It's kind of like this in the church, it's kind of like the, an uninvited guest at a party. You know, we're just not sure what to do with that uninvited guest. It just makes everything awkward. And so we, we pretend like they, they, they don't exist. We, we don't want to acknowledge our doubts. And, and often, or if we do, what we found is that the church has done a, done a bad job of handling people's doubts. People get shut down. Or they get kind of shamed. People say, well, you must not be devoted enough. You must need to spend more time reading the Bible. You must need more time at church. And and so people, people feel shut down with their doubts, and they don't feel like church is a safe place to go with their doubts. And that's a problem. Because shutting down people's questions doesn't make the questions go away. Shutting down people's questions doesn't mean those questions just poof, vanish in thin air. No, they're, they're just going to keep asking questions. They're just going to take their questions somewhere else. And so the church should really be the place where you can express your doubts, where you can ask your questions and, and find a safe environment where you're not going to be shamed for having doubts, but, but actually have a safe place where you can ask your questions, express your doubts, and find ways to resolve them. And so that's why we're talking about this this morning is because I want our church to be a place where, you know, if you're struggling with doubt, you don't need to feel ashamed, you don't need to feel embarrassed, but but for the church to be a safe place for you to work through those doubts. But there's another reason why I want to talk about doubt this morning. And that's because doubt doesn't have to shipwreck your faith. You see, doubt, when handled well, can actually strengthen your faith. Doubt can, can be something that, that, it's like the warning light that comes on on the dashboard of your car when something's not working right in your car. You know, that, that warning light pops on, and, and our tendency is to do what we do when warning lights come on in our car. We, we ignore it. We hope it goes away. We just keep driving. Doubt is alerting us to the fact that, that there's maybe a weak point in our faith. And if we'll see to it, if we'll, if we'll handle it well, then it can actually strengthen your faith. That's my story. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I committed my life to Jesus as an eight-year-old boy. And, uh, when, but when I got to university, just like many other students, uh, my faith began to unravel. You know, various challenges from my professors and just my own questions and 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 confusion on things. My faith began to unravel, and for about 18 months, I I got to the place where I was like, I kind of believe there's a God, but I'm just not even sure about Christianity. I'm not sure if this whole thing is is real or not. And and what happened is, you know, to make a very long story short, I had an encounter with God that just resolved all the core questions. In that encounter, I I realized, oh, Jesus really is who He says He is. The Bible really is true. Heaven really is my final destination. My my sins are forgiven. And those core doubts, what what, what were places where my faith was being undermined became places of great strength. And, And as a result, my faith, as a result of that crisis of faith, my faith became much more uh, robust, much stronger, and it has endured ever since. So faith, or so doubt, when we handle it well, can actually strengthen your faith. And so that's why I think it's important for us to talk about how to handle our doubts well. Now, in order to do that, I think we need to understand that doubt has different sources. Not all doubt is the same. The author, Brett Kunkel, uh, writes about this, and I, f- I find it's a really helpful way of thinking about it, but, but he identifies three distinct sources of doubt, intellectual doubt, emotional doubt, and moral doubt. And it's really important to understand the differences between these because the way that you resolve these different types of doubt is, is is different for each one. And, and so you don't want to treat each one the same. It would be like a doctor trying to treat every patient with the exact same remedy. It just wouldn't work. You have to treat each one differently. So I want to dig into each one of these sources of doubt today. And I want to talk about how you resolve those sources of doubt. Well, the first one is intellectual doubt. And intellectual doubt asks the question is it true? Is it reasonable? Is, is it rational? Can intelligent people actually believe this stuff? And intellectual doubts usually surface either through our own maybe uh, uh, bad thinking or uninformed thinking, or most often, you know, somebody, a skeptic, has challenged our faith in some way. Maybe you've kind of encountered something Richard Dawkins has said online, and so you, you're like, oh, I don't know the answer to that. And so, and so it raises up these intellectual doubts in our hearts. You might have questions about, you know, questions like, uh, you know, is God, does God really exist? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is the Bible really true? Can I trust it? And these questions are, are good questions. They're questions we should ask. And God is not offended or put off by these questions at all. And we shouldn't be either as believers. You know, these questions are, are questions that, that there are answers to. And so the question, so, so how do you deal with intellectual doubts? Well, I just highlighted it. We deal with intellectual doubt by seeking answers. And the good news is that there are answers out there for you. There are answers. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, theologians and apologists have for centuries been wrestling with these questions that come up. You know, sometimes I feel like people that are skeptics, they, they throw out these arguments like, "Ah, oh, this is the zinger that's finally going to sink Christianity for good. But actually, there are no new questions, <laughs> They're all just variations on the same themes, and, and I promise you, every question you've had has been thought by some believer centuries before you were on the earth, and so there are plenty of uh, uh, people out there that have, have sought out answers to these difficult questions, and the good news today is that there are answers. And, and the, the other good news is that, is that you live in the best time in history to answer these questions, You live in the best time possible because we have more access to these answers than ever before. There's, you know, apologists have done all kinds of great work and we have ready access to it. There's great books, there's great podcasts, there's great websites, great videos you can look at. There are so many answers out there that are readily accessible to us. The question is: are we willing to seek the answers? Are we willing to to dig into Uh, do the hard work of actually finding the answers. You see, for a lot of us, my concern is that when we encounter intellectual doubt, or doubts of any kind, really, that that we just leave it like the the warning light on the dashboard of our car. We just kind of hope it's going to go away over time. But you know how that goes. You ignore that warning light for long enough, and eventually your car is going to break down. And if we ignore doubts in our faith, then eventually it can undermine our faith to the point where it totally breaks down as well. So we've got to be willing to seek the answers. And here's the thing. I need to warn you that that the answers are not always tweetable. (laughs) The answers aren't nice, succinct sound bites all the time. Sometimes the answers take a little bit of study. They take a little bit of research. They take require you to follow an argument through from beginning to end. And just because an answer isn't just neatly packaged into 140 characters doesn't mean that it's not true. (laughs) And that's the thing with Christianity. You know, it it, it is robust. It it, it is true. And, And truth can withstand scrutiny. Truth it's like a, a beach ball that you try to push under the water. You know, if there's no holes in it, it just keeps popping up to the surface. And truth is, is is, is, resilient. It just keeps bouncing back to the surface. And Christianity has survived 2,000 years of scrutiny. In fact, I think the evidence for Christianity is stronger than it's ever been. If you look at dif- different uh, disciplines in academia, I feel like the the evidence for Christianity is really strong. But you've got to be able to follow those arguments through Uh, to the end. And it takes a bit of work. It takes a bit of time. It takes patience. And I'm worried that in our instant everything culture, we're not willing to do that. Now, sometimes in our, you can find a video that's two or three minutes long, and it answers your question. You're like, oh, great, that's really helpful. But sometimes it requires more work than that. And my question is, if your faith is being undermined by intellectual doubts, then isn't it worth the time and the effort to actually Find those resources and seek those answers because they're out there. The second source of doubt that we deal with is emotional doubt. An emotional doubt asks the question, is God good? Can we really trust Him? Is, is God really good? And, and emotional doubt often surfaces in the, in the form of this question. God, If, if God exists, then why and then fill in the blank with some uh, tragedy or injustice that's happened to you or someone else. You know, we, we ask the question, God, if you exist, then, then why didn't you answer my prayer for my loved one to be healed? God, if you're good, then why are you allowing injustice like you know, sexual slavery or racism to exist? God, if you're so good, then, then you know, we ask this question often when we don't get our own way. And this is the question that society is asking right now. God, if you are so good, then why have you allowed this pandemic, which has devastated the lives of so many? So this is a very relevant question. It's something that a lot of people are dealing with, emotional doubt. And if you look through the Bible, you find a great example of this in the life of John the Baptist in Matthew 11, we read the story of John when he was imprisoned shortly before his death. And it says this John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples, disciples to ask Jesus Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? I mean, think about this for a minute. John John the Baptist is asking Jesus this question. Are you the Messiah? Are are, are you the one? Or or should we be looking elsewhere? I can't can't even believe that John is asking this question. Now, let's just remember, let's recount what we know about John from Scripture. We're told we first meet John when, when, uh, when Mary, who is... Just become pregnant with Jesus, comes to Elizabeth, her her aunt. And she and and, and it says, Elizabeth says that when Mary enters the house, the baby, who would be John the Baptist, kicks for joy because he supernaturally knows that Jesus, the Messiah, is near and there's joy in his heart, even at that early age. This is the same John the Baptist who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And, And when he did that, he said that the heavens were opened. And he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, and he heard a voice from heaven, an audible voice saying, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And John pointed his disciples to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. John understood that his role was to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And now here he is in prison, and and he's asking the question. He's experiencing doubts about the identity of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, are you the one we're expecting, or or should we look for someone else? Why? Why? Why would he suddenly doubt this? Well, it's because he's in prison. He's suffering. He's experiencing pain. I mean, think about this. John has been imprisoned, and he's totally innocent. He's he's been doing the work of God. He's been doing great things for God. He's been imprisoned by this hedonistic king who cares nothing about God, doesn't fear God at all. And now John is suffering unjustly in prison, and he's like, what's up with this? And furthermore, Jesus is John the Baptist's cousin. They're family members, for heaven's sakes. And so he's thinking, hey, if Jesus is the Messiah then surely, you know, if he's doing all these great things, if he's doing all these miracles, then surely if there's anybody who's a candidate for Jesus to come and rescue and help, it's me, his own cousin. But so far, Jesus had seemed indifferent. He hadn't done anything. And so John is asking the question, hey, did did I miss it? Did I somehow just imagine all that stuff? And listen to how Jesus replies to him. He says, go back to John… And tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus points to the evidence of the miracles that he's performing to remind him yeah, John, no, you got it right. I am who you thought I was. But then he adds this. Extra statement that I think gets to the heart of what was going on with John. Jesus says, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Jesus is saying, John, listen, I am who you think I am, but don't turn away because I'm not bringing the resolution that you want to see right now. Don't turn away because I haven't answered this this prayer of yours. Don't turn away because because you can't see my goodness right now and, 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 and it looks like I've just abandoned you and everything's a mystery to you right now. Don't turn away. Trust in my goodness. Trust in me. Jesus asks us to do the same thing when we experience our own moments of pain and injustice, and we experience that emotional doubt, Jesus is saying, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me, because of my apparent inaction. So how do we respond to emotional doubt? We take our pain to God. We take our pain to God, we we turn to him, We, we bring our pain to him, because God Wants to comfort us in our places of pain and disappointment and hurt. 2 Corinthians describes God as the God of all comfort. All comfort. He wants us to know his comfort. And and there's something else that Jesus says too, you know, in this passage where where John the Baptist has sent his disciples and they're they're asking this question and Jesus gives them this response, They, they leave. And they take Jesus' response back to John the Baptist. But then Jesus carries on talking to the crowd that was assembled. He starts talking about John the Baptist. And the most, he says the most extraordinary things about him. He so uh, affirms who John is and, and the role that he plays. And, and, and he clearly has great affection for John. But then at the end of this passage, he makes this statement, which many of you are familiar with. But, but you've got to see it in the context of somebody who's experiencing emotional doubt. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, come to me with your emotional doubt." Because isn't that what emotional doubt feels like? It feels like a heavy burden that just makes us weary. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can trust in me. You can trust that I am good, I am humble, and I am gentle at heart. Come to me, let me teach you, and find rest for your souls in me. So that's what we do with our emotional doubt. We, we bring it to God, and we let him meet us there. Thirdly, there's moral doubt. And moral doubt asks the question, is God's moral law good? Is it, is it good? Can we, can we trust in it? Is it? And often we experience moral doubt whenever we're tempted by something and it collides with God's moral law and we know it. And then we have to ask the question, well, do, do I think moral, God's moral law is good or do I think it's just nonsense? And this is the very first temptation The very first experience with doubt that humanity experienced. This is what the devil first led with in the Garden of Eden. Remember the story? God places Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, hey, this whole garden is yours. You can eat from any tree in here that you want except for that one tree. I don't want you to have that. And so the devil comes, and he tempts Eve, and he says this. He says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden. And this seed of doubt about God's moral law begins to take root in Eve's heart. And this is somebody that walks with God. This is somebody that's encountered him in ways that we can't even imagine. But yet this seed of doubt about God's moral law begins to undermine her faith in him. And she looks and it says that she sees that the fruit looks good to eat. She thinks, well, what's wrong with this tree? I mean, that fruit looks good. All the other fruit's good. That fruit looks good. I, I mean, what, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? <laughs> and so she thinks, well, maybe, maybe I missed it. Maybe God didn't really mean that. Maybe I know better. And along with her husband, she takes the forbidden fruit, and they eat it, and their relationship with God is severed. This is the same temptation that we experience today. This, this, the devil doesn't come up with a whole lot of new tricks. He loves this trick, and, and he often, you know, whenever we encounter temptation, the devil just comes along and says, did God really say? And we can encounter this in all kinds of areas, but most commonly we encounter this when, when our sexual desires collide with biblical uh, sexual ethics, when those two things are in collision, when they're when they're in opposition to one another, when what we what we want, we know God has said no to, that's when we hear the whisper, did God really say? So how do we respond to this question of moral doubt? What do we do in those moments? Well, the answer is that we just we need to be open with what's going on. We need to confess our struggle to God and to others. We need to bring that, that struggle out into the light. And maybe, you know, this is just a temptation right now and you haven't given into it. Then talk to somebody about it. Say, hey, here's, here's the temptation I'm feeling and I, I'm confused here. I've got doubts here about God's, God's law and his ways. And wh- what do you say? Or, or maybe you've already given into it and you, you've bought, you've taken the bait. And there's just a place of, repentance. We just need to come back to that place of saying, God, you know, I I messed up and I'm wrong. And I'm going to submit myself again to your moral law, even when I'm not sure that it feels good or or it doesn't feel good to me right now. You see, God isn't this cosmic killjoy that's just out to ruin all of our fun. God's moral laws exist for our protection, for our good. He doesn't want us to shipwreck into sin. He doesn't want us to be bound and held hostage and held captive by things that will destroy us. He wants us to experience freedom. But freedom exists within boundaries. You know, I I heard the analogy once uh, about football, right? You know, if if you played football and there were no rules or no boundaries, you'd just have chaos, right? It wouldn't work at all. That's why there's, there's, there's touch lines and that's why there's goalposts, and that's why there's officials. You know, God gives us boundaries so that we can enjoy life the way that he created us to. And so we can trust in his moral law. And there's that place of just coming, coming back to God and saying, God, I, I just choose to submit myself that you know better than I do, even when temptation is strong, even when I'm hearing that voice saying, did God really say? So how do we respond to all of this, you know, I, I've, you know, these we've got these three areas of doubt: of, of intellectual doubt, and emotional doubt, and moral doubt. But, but how can we actually respond to this? I've given you some suggestions already, but here's what I want you to take away from this message today. First of all, if you're dealing with doubt today, I want you to identify the source of your doubts. Identify the source of your doubts. If you're if you're dealing with intellectual doubt or emotional doubt or moral doubt, you need to, to simply identify what it is because, as I said, it, it, we can't deal with it unless we know what we're dealing with. You know, the doctor can't prescribe a medication unless he knows what the sickness is. So, like, you know, you can't give intellectual answers to somebody that's dealing with emotional or moral doubt. That just isn't going to solve the problem. You've got to go back and, and identify what it is that, that is the, the, the deeper root. And that's something I should, should have mentioned as well, is that you know, often we think our struggle is with intellectual doubt, but often intellectual doubt is just kind of a cover for what's really going on, and that is there's emotional doubt or moral doubt that's underneath it. And so you got to get sometimes underneath those initial intellectual doubts that you might be experiencing and be honest that actually this is born out of hurt or pain in your life, or this is born out of, out of moral, um, <clears throat> moral uh, compromise. And that's the thing about moral doubt as well that I should have mentioned, is that you know, uh, there is a strong correlation between, moral, or between sin and, uh, and, and unbelief. And often with Christians, when they lose their faith, they might say, oh, it's this intellectual question that I have that wasn't resolved. But actually, if you dig beneath the surface, you'll find that there's probably been an area of compromise in the area of sexuality. And so you've got to dig underneath the surface and find out what the real issue is in order to resolve it. And as I said, with intellectual doubt, you seek the answers. With emotional doubt, you you turn to God and let him comfort you. And with moral doubt, there's a place of just humbling yourself, repenting, and returning to God's ways. Secondly, you need to proactively deal with your doubts. If you're struggling with doubts today, then you got to be proactive in dealing with it. It's like the analogy that I was using earlier about the, the, the light on the dashboard. It's so easy to ignore that light on the dashboard until something goes catastrophically wrong with your vehicle. And it's so easy to ignore doubts until something goes catastrophically wrong with our faith. And and, and I think my concern is that, at least for younger generations, doubt has become a virtue. Doubt has become cool, doubt has become, you know, we don't like the idea of absolute truth, and so it feels far more comfortable to be skeptical and to doubt things that of a spiritual nature. But listen, leaving those things alone are going to, it's going to fester over time. It's going to cause uh, the, your faith to break down eventually. So you've got to be proactive. You can't just leave it there this morning. You gotta, you've got to do something about it. Identify what the source is and then deal with it in the way that you need to deal with it. This is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews 3.12. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's saying, see to it. He's saying, be proactive. Make sure that the that that, that unbelief doesn't trip you up and cause you to turn away. Finally, I want to encourage you not to struggle alone. If you're struggling with doubt today, don't do it alone. Doubt flourishes in the context of isolation. Doubt flourishes in the darkness. You need people around you to help you walk through this. You know, that very next verse in Hebrews says this. It says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He's saying, look, don't let unbelief overtake you. Encourage one another so that none of you would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need, we need the church to help us when we're weak. And sometimes you're the one that needs help, and sometimes you're the one that's helping others. But we're to encourage one another daily. So this means the church isn't just meant to be that thing you do every six months or that thing that you, you tune into once every, every couple of weeks. You know, this is meant to be something where, where people are involved in your life. They know what your challenges are. They know what your burdens are. They can help you. They can help you overcome the, the things that you're facing. You know, this is my story. <laughs> you know, when, when I was dealing with doubt at a big, big time in university, I, I, I found a, a friend of mine who was further along than me in his faith and who could encourage me and speak into my life and, and be somebody that I could bounce questions off of and resolve my doubts. And, I, and I'm sure that without this person, I would not have come through the other side. So having other people involved in your life. Having the church around you is what helps you make it through to the other side. It's vital. So if you don't have those people in your life, I want to encourage you. Get involved in a life group. Go to a friend that you know that that has this bit further along in their walk with Jesus than you. Talk to them about the doubts you're experiencing and let them encourage you. Let them give you perspective and speak into your life. Don't struggle alone. So those are just practical steps that you can take to actually begin to address the doubt that you might be experiencing in your life. And I just want to encourage you, this is, this is something that we can deal well with, that, that if you deal with it well, if you handle doubts well, rather than it being something that sinks your faith, it can be something that strengthens your faith. Now there's three questions I want to leave you with today before we conclude, and uh, we'll put these back on the screen at the end of our service today. But I just want you to ask these questions as a way of practically applying what I'm talking about this morning. First of all, what is the source of my doubt? We talked about that already. Is it it intellectual? Is it emotional? Is it moral? And then what is the first step I can take to deal with my doubts? I've given you some great suggestions today, but but I want to encourage you today to identify, okay, what am I going to do about this? What's the first step I can take? That first step may not resolve everything, but let's start by taking a step forward. And finally, who can I talk to about this? Who is it that's in my life that I trust that I can reach out to? Really practical things that you can do to resolve these questions. Let me close for us in prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you do not condemn us because doubts pop up from time to time. That you don't condemn those right now who are dealing with doubt. But instead, you say to all of us, come to me, all who are weary and weighed down with heavy burdens, and I will give you rest for your souls. So, Lord, we come to you today. Jesus, we ask that you would speak into these places of doubt, that you would take these weak places in us and make them strong. Jesus, I ask that you would meet every person in their place of need today. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We put our trust and our hope and our faith in who you are and in your ways. We thank you, Lord, that you're big enough to handle our questions and our doubts, and we thank you, Lord, that you are true. Lord, we love you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.